everyone and welcome back to this month's Women in Dev podcast. I hope you managed to take some time to relax over the holiday period and that you've had a good start to your 2022. For the team behind WID, we're really excited to get going in the new year and we have some amazing events planned. So sign up to our newsletter to find out all about them. For this month's episode, we're diving into the world of data, discussing its power and the impact of having a kind of gender data gap and what that means for everyday women's lives. We're one year on since our partner Women's March Global hosted their The Global Count survey, which was an attempt to really fill in this gender data gap on a global level and for women and uh, non-binary people to come forward and have their individual voices heard on issues that matter to them, whether it was political, social, economic or technological. And when you're on, it's been a real interesting journey to turn that data into action. And so I wanted to have a conversation with someone who is creating space for this knowledge and data sharing and what that looks like in the kind of modern world. So for the conversation, I was joined by Emma Bates and Emma is the founder and CEO of DM, which is a kind of disruptive social platform that's going against the norms and really creating a space of knowledge sharing for women and non-binary people. Emma was selected by Forbes for one of their 30 under 30 in consumer technology. When talking to her, you really get a sense of her kind of straddling these two worlds, tech and feminism, and often they can sit in contrast to each other, but she does an amazing job of kind of bringing them together and marrying where where tech can become a tool for good in terms of allowing, for example, on DM, women to come together to talk about issues to do with health or salary negotiations or to share understandings on investments and particularly male topics without the kind of male gaze and without the kind of social media marketing techniques that often can cause us to fall into these scrolling doom, doom holes. I really enjoyed this conversation with Emma because she managed to bring in so many aspects of feminism that I love and I know that the women and dev listeners love about intersectionality and power and bring it back to how that translates into the world of tech, the world of data collection and we ended the show on a kind of hopeful note and her optimism for the future which I'm sure many of you will love as I did as well. As always, if you've got any suggestions for guests or feedback on the podcast, or you just want to tell us how much you loved it, please do get in touch because we really love it when we hear from our listeners. So you can find us on Instagram at Women in Dev and on Twitter at Women Dev. And of course, please download and check out DM. I've got myself lost into all the different conversations and I'm sure you will too. Enjoy the episode. joining me um I'm really been looking forward to this discussion all week um I'm really kind of diving in into this topic for this month's podcast we're talking about the kind of gender data gap and how we can turn data into action and I think just to give kind of listeners a bit of background it's a year on since one of our partners Women's March Global um conducted this kind of worldwide mapping um of the barriers of women and, and gender diverse people and they got like 31,000 respondents and I was working quite closely on the project and it kind of was in a kind of response to this this gendered 
data gap that we we know exists and one of the things that has really struck me about the process is that we got such an amazing response like 31,000 people came back and from the process on from that has been quite difficult like how do you turn that data into action and how do you get people to listen particularly when it is about women and and different different minorities so that's what I kind of wanted to wanted to chat about today and I'm really excited to hear about your experiences and and how you found that at DM. I'm kind so of, excited for this topic. Yeah, great. No, it's really, really great to, to have you here. Um, I wanted to kind of just take it back to, to basics and kind of to start off by talking about, you know, we I think we all kind of know that data is something that's a really powerful tool and that people want and, and businesses want to understand our every moves and what and what we do. But there still is this gap in terms of like who data is collected by and for um, and what it's used for. And I wondered if just in your own opinion, you could talk about the ways in which you think this kind of gap in data affects women's everyday lives, and if you had any examples of that. Yeah, I mean, my God, uh, so so many, <laughs> so many thoughts come to mind uh, around that question. Uh, the first thing that comes up, I'm sure you've read it, but Invisible Women, the book by Caroline Criado Perez, I think her name is. Um, anyway, I'm obsessed with the book, um, and that's the first thing that comes to mind when you think about the gender data cap. She obviously articulated it incredibly well about why it is such a problem when there's like when data is sort of default male. And I mean, you can see it play out in almost every instance of our lives, whether that be in the healthcare space. I think there was an article recently where it's like 32% of women die after surgery versus men uh, when they're operated on by a man. I mean, you can see it play out in terms of funding for women entrepreneurs. I think in the US, at least, only 2% of funding went to female founded teams. Uh, And then when you look at um, race as a part of that as well, it was like 0.3% of all funding went to black women founders. And that's just wild like just just like that amount of money and amount of attention that is not going towards uh women or those who identify as women is just unbelievable um and and all of that stems back to definitely data bias and and um lack of data collection around women and just like recognition of the major impact that that could have for everyone not just on the positively on the lives of women I think it can have such a huge positive impact on the whole of society when we start recognizing other genders um and not just defaulting everything to to men I don't know I've so I have so many thoughts I'm happy to dive into any of that yeah no you're you're so right and I think yeah Caroline's book is is such a jumping off point I'm actually just diving into it now it's so good and just some of the stats illustrate I think one of the things that's really interesting you said is that it's we think oh yeah okay fine data is collected you know by by men for men that kind of thing but actually then that data is used to make decisions as you said about healthcare or education or you know those kind of things I think to bring in a sort of other area that that kind of mirrors your work is is the kind of tech aspect of it so you know there's another great book um called Data Feminism that's by Lauren Klein and Catherine Diageo and they kind of start the book by talking about that data and data science is really driven Mm. by kind of white male and techno heroic so this idea that like tech will solve everything but it's also only run by or majority is run by like white men from a you know 
even just from San Francisco, for example. Um, yeah. But I think from your perspective, you're obviously kind of bucking that trend with DM. And I wondered if you could talk about, you know, how do you see um, a platform like yours that's being run by a woman and for women different to spaces that are maybe run by men and not kind of taking those other genders into consideration? I think it plays out in a couple of ways. One, in people's experience in the actual product itself. So safety features, I talk about this a lot elsewhere, but like direct messaging is such a flawed feature in so many ways because it enables, I mean, it's just like not consensual. There's such a lack of consent in our digital, in our sort of digital products, uh, which really mirrors I think what we see play out in real life or real, not real life, real world experiences. And I actually think a lot of moderation tools are similar to how we talk to, let's say women in, in terms of protecting themselves in walking down the street. Like I I think that a report feature or a blocking feature is similar to saying, uh, don't wear a short skirt and walk in well-lit places. It comes from a very similar narrative and like it basically focuses on the person that is being harassed to limit their own experience of life by taking measures to protect themselves and it doesn't focus any attention or enough attention on the person who is doing the harassing that I think is very interesting when you think of how that's played out in digital platforms and social platforms that we currently spend all of our time in and then I think also in relation to data specifically data is such a like people have such a negative association with the word data now because of how it's been handled by big tech um, and how that it's been sort of taken from us this idea of our data like no longer belonging to us like our privacy being invaded all of these sorts of things uh, when in reality having access to data or harnessing data in a positive way via a platform is incredibly helpful like we see that not having data like we were just discussing on say women in society means that women pay the price in a lot of ways whether that be financially whether that be health like related whatever that is and so if you have access to that data consensually and you are repurposing that data to benefit the end user with their consent there's a lot of good that can come from that. And unfortunately, because of everything that's happened over the last 15, 20 years, people don't remember that and they and they want more ownership. It's like the whole move towards like Web3 and the metaverse and ownership and cryptocurrency and transparency and whatever is basically a direct result of the fact that data has been mishandled. Um, but actually, it's so important that we have access to these different experiences in the form of data because we can only build differently if we have that. I think that's so interesting. And I think one of the things that I always think about when, when and maybe this is something that's actually come directly from the, the Global Crime Project that we did, that when we were diving into the data, I was like, wow, these are all individual people who have their own experiences and we're able to you know, map out this amazing story at this kind of aggregated level and you know having played around with your project CM this week and had a look I really what I really loved about it is that it's this space for people to come together or or women and and non-binary people to come together and say I have this experience on a particular topic whether it's something to do with health or or finance or investing and things like that and to share knowledge and knowledge in itself is is data and I wondered Mm -hmm. how you view kind of um, your platform kind of playing into this idea of turning data into action is is 
is it something that you've thought about how you could take those learnings and kind of put them more into the external world and, and, and use them in a particular way? Yeah, so we we say basically that our purpose for existing is to inv- advance women and non-binary folks via conversation. And the reason that we say that is, I guess there's a few reasons that we say that, but one of them is really around your point around knowledge sharing and us sharing this knowledge with each other is something that we do every single day in our immediate circles, uh, whether that be a work colleague, whether that be your best friend in a WhatsApp group. This is a behavior that like women non-binary folks are especially accustomed to because it's basically where a lot of our power comes from. Like if, if knowledge is power in the real world, which it is, um, and we don't have access to that knowledge because maybe we have biased experiences of education, maybe we I don't know, like there's so many reasons we won't have access to that information. But if you can create a place where you can capture that knowledge purely for the benefit of other people learning from it, that's so powerful. Like you can bring the stuff that you learn, say in DM, to anything in life. Like you could you could learn something in DM about negotiating, for example, and take that to your employer and be like, actually, I feel very confident now to ask for more money. And the only reason that you feel confident is because of that conversation and because of you had access to that conversation and the knowledge that was shared with you via listening to it. Um, So I I do think that like data is super interesting to us, Um, not in the way that, not because we want to use it for advertising, our revenue model is quite quite different or literally the opposite of that and but really because we think it's such an opportunity for people to learn and there is all of this knowledge out there we just need access to it and no one has built a place where you can access it exactly and I think what's really you're right in saying that kind of data it has become this bit of a dirty word in terms of you know because of what's happening and understandably so that people are worried about their data being used but really it's only data being used in a very specific way for marketing or, or revenue kind of kind of models but to have you to have a platform like dm which is a kind of alternative it's really about creating this space so this knowledge can be shared and for that to be used on both a kind of granular level and then also kind of the impact that it has on a wider level. I wondered if you could just talk a little bit through about, you know, any, what people have said from experiencing the app. I mean, you know, I would encourage listeners right now to go ahead and download it. And I've been having a play around and, and kind of getting in and out of different different um, spaces. But what are some of the feedback that you're getting from people who are, who are using DM? A lot of it is relief, I think I would chalk it up to like people just feeling like they can take a deep breath and not exist in this strange performative landscape like we we actually say like while the behavior you're doing in dm is social or it's tangential to being social um the purpose of being there isn't to necessarily socialize in the way that we've been conditioned to socialize in other platforms as in like stalk or (laughs) watch or observe from a distance which fundamentally none of those things are truly social um what we want people to do is is to share their experiences and, and like yes both ask questions and like source knowledge from anyone that might come across their their question but but also to sort of share their own it's, it's a very like equal landscape it's not just all about you and it's not just all about the other person it's all about giving and receiving I guess I think that makes a lot of sense and just to kind of flag up see for listeners like you don't put any images or anything right on dm so it's not yeah. like it's it's kind of stripping that back to just like 
your thoughts <laughs> essentially or like you know yeah your kind of knowledge and expertise yeah it's just I, I think the ex- I mean relief is definitely a feeling that we get a lot of people saying um also just people are very curious in there the whole point of being in there is learning and discovering stuff and so uh, I think people really enjoy that it's like can speak to some of their curiosities um and also just like feels very different like the design is very different from other spaces like if you've been in there you'll see what what I mean yeah I I just like people just love that it is an alternate environment and and it's intentional like there's a very intentional reason for you being there we're not trying to capture your attention every minute of the day because the only reason that social platforms want to do that is because they have ad revenue models and so you being in there every single day because you're addicted to it directly correlates to their financial incentives as a business so that's the complete opposite of what we're trying to achieve and the complete opposite of the revenue model that we'll eventually um, deploy so for us it's really about intentionality and we see that a lot in the that feedback uh, come back to us um, a lot from from users when we uh, do research and things like that yeah that makes a lot of sense and I wonder if you how has it been sort of like pitching and 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 finding investment in that space because I think not only you are you are stripping away to this more kind of knowledge and, and, and expertise sharing space and kind of taking the platform in a different direction to to other social media platforms, but you're also catering to to just women and non-binary people. How have you found that? Because I imagine I don't know much about the investment world, but I imagine mm-hmm. it to be quite male dominated, heavy, and and that kind of that kind of space. Is that has there been a tension there in terms of kind of trying to find investment and furthering the product it was definitely not easy uh we do have incredible investors um that I'm very I feel very um lucky to have met them um but it was really 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 hard um and there's a lot of reasons it was really hard one because you spend a lot of time trying to explain the problem um to people who might have not experienced the problem on a personal level two there's a lot of subconscious bias both from male and female investors uh, around women founders and also products designed for women um i actually just our newsletter weirdly that's going out today is all about is all about that i think that people in general you can chalk it up to the fact that anytime you build something that is uh, to create more equality across power structures, those who are in the positions of power, whether that be financial or political or whatever it is, view that product as a threat to their sort of standing and the benefits that they have as a result of the amount of power that they have. And I think that we unfortunately receive a lot of that Uh, type of pushback which is people genuinely not even realizing that they're being sexist but unfortunately they are Um, and that being said like another thing that I think makes it challenging or or at least uh, challenging at first to raise money was there's this annoying association with building products for women or products for uh, non-binary folks that people think it's like altruistic to do that. Like they think it's like almost a charity that you would be, oh, like you're helping women and like women don't help themselves either in this space. Like a lot of products for women are like, let us help you or like you need help, heal, do all this sort of stuff. And it's like, it's not just, it's not just a good thing to do socially and to have a social impact. 
it's also a massive business opportunity and in a really good way to involve those women who are maybe using your product in benefiting from you building this business. So I just like, yeah, there's multiple multiple things that really irritate me when it comes to raising money. Um, and I think a lot of it has to do with subconscious and often conscious bias. Yeah, that's so interesting what you were saying at the end about the kind of this idea of like empowerment and and, and lifting women up because it's something that um, to kind of parallel with the work that lots of women in, in our network do in, in kind of international development, it's the same kind of narrative that it's like, oh, we can empower these people in the global south to, you know, do better in their lives or to, or to have better lives but actually a lot of them it's not that they need to empower they just need like tools and resources to be able to just like do what they're doing and yes. do it on a better better scale and I think that's something that I'm really curious to, to hear your thoughts about how you see you know because I, I I don't know and interested to hear what you say about DM and, and kind of the the geographic location of people using it because hmm. one of the things that we were talking about with the, the kind of global count survey we decided to do it online and obviously that then kind of creates um a divide between who can who could access the survey and who couldn't you know well, privilege totally privilege yeah. and, and kind of how do we get the the voices of women who maybe aren't online in in those spaces but then kind of counteractively I could see something like DM being a really great space for someone who maybe you know doesn't their gender norms in their country don't allow them to maybe have a space on Facebook or things like that and stuff but they could have Mm -hmm. a space here and have a chance to like expand their knowledge is it something you thought about in terms of like your geographical reach and, and who you who who's on the platform yeah it's something I think about a lot mm-hmm. because by the nature of building technology, you automatically are building for people who have access to technology to be able to access your app, which is like hard to grapple with when you're like my mission in life is so truly to make women feel powerful or recognize that they're powerful. And it makes me sad that I might not be able to reach all of the women in the world um, to tell them that. But I think yeah it's it's a really interesting I don't know I've gone back and forth with it a lot it's sort of like you have to start you have to start somewhere and we do believe that there are ways that creating the resources that we will create within DM hopefully we'll be able to reach people all over the world as we grow as a business and have access to more capital to expand and build things differently and reach demographics that may not have otherwise found us um but something that you said just before that which was around sort of like development of uh, women on providing them resources in society I think that a lot of people don't realize or don't compute that by providing access and resources also is incredibly beneficial to the whole of society it's not just beneficial to women and like this whole I think that the sort of concept of like feminism for example has like lost its way a little bit and how it's been marketed because we focus so wholly on this idea of like women becoming powerful but we forget to mention that by women gaining more status and more power it benefits everyone um and like this is also from the newsletter that's coming out today but <laughs> a, a friend of mine Melanie the other day basically said I think it was in the JFK it was a JFK originally where it's like all boats, uh, all boats 
rise with the tide or something like that mm-hmm. um basically saying that like if you ri- if others rise like everyone will rise with them mm-hmm. so yeah just wanted to mention that because I think it's something that people often forget in this conversation yeah I think you're completely right and it's something that I think a lot of the listeners that we'll have will they also very much subscribe to that view you know it's something that sometimes we hate to use the kind of economic argument when it comes to women's rights or women's economic opportunities but or the kind of like you know if if you do this your gdp of your country will rise or it will benefit but sometimes it's the only argument that will allow governments yeah. to sponsor projects or big funders to come in and say okay we we want to do that but really it is the truth and there's another really powerful quote i think it's I can't remember which book it's from, but it's about like women holding half the sky up. And if you let go, then, you know, half the sky would go. And if you increased it, then the whole sky would be something like that. Um, And it's similar to to that kind of thing that, you know, women's opportunities doesn't mean that men's will lessen, I think, or, or, or the powerful will be lost, or maybe it will do, but at the same time, it will increase everyone's opportunities. And you can look at that growth and however you want to do it, whether it's growth of economics or growth of opportunities or rights or something. Yeah. I think that, sorry no Uh, no, I think it's um to do the sort of idea of people losing power if others gain power um I think that what people don't pay attention to either is that we have not spent any time defining what power means outside of very masculine traits and if we were to create or celebrate rather things that maybe those who are female are perhaps good at like basically masculine traits still are very associated with words like strength and muscle and I don't know like all of the stuff that men like um, someone who is male uh show or just like their attributes but um if you think about power differently and it's like well how do we celebrate other forms of strength within our society like strength isn't just your physical strength it could be emotional strength it could be could also be physical strength in relation to pregnancy like why is pregnancy so negatively viewed in our world when it's literally the coolest and strongest thing that I think a human being could do like are you telling me that having big arm muscles is like more impressive than or more worthy of recognition than like birthing a human being um and that's how our infrastructure our financial and societal infrastructure is set up is to penalize those things and it just like that doesn't work for anyone like why do we want people to have less babies like the human race relies on on someone who is female carrying well with female reproductive organs carrying a child like none of it makes sense and a lot of it is rooted in fear and fear of losing power and losing social standing but what is needs to be recognized is that you can you can identify other forms of power and celebrate those and then there's just automatically more examples of how you could become powerful and no one loses power (laughs) yeah that's honestly you've hit it hit it on the nail there and it is so true it's like we uh, we spend you know so much of of our like there's so much of our lives is 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 not catering for for example as you said women or those who those who can get pregnant and being able to do so in an environment that is caring and 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 cares for them and and yet we don't see the fact that you would grow a child inside you as as a strength in society is is crazy to me and I think also something that you touched upon as well is that you know 
once we start to really break down, okay, why is this seen as masculine and why is this seen as feminine and kind of understanding that those are not binary, we also move away from these binary ideas of gender, right? And we kind of try to, yeah. um, something that we're, they're moving, you know, away from and trying to understand that there are people who sit within a spectrum of that. And even if you do identify as a woman, you might, you sit on a spectrum of, of how you, how you identify in that way. And I don't think, I think even just yeah. Even the conversation of feminism in general hasn't quite got, we haven't got ourselves to that point yet where we're really able to articulate that and we're in this really, I would say, horrible period where we're having sort of infighting over over um, over what is a woman. Yeah, well, I think like feminism, exactly, like feminism at its core, like the belief is that people should be equal to each other and like the emphasis on the word people, like people could be anyone. It should be an equal society for all and there's, a lot of focus I think like even the history of feminism is like rooted in a lot of racism um the rise of like intersectional feminism is what more of us should be focused on um and and really thinking about in our day-to-day lives and I yeah the, the word feminism I think has become I don't know very capitalist and it's over marketed and it actually I think a lot of the way it's marketed is a huge disservice to what the purpose of feminism should be or is for a lot of people uh and like I don't know if I can swear but like having t-shirts that say fuck the patriarchy like what does that actually do to dismantle the patriarchy not much uh if anything like we need everyone in our corner to dismantle the patriarchy because the patriarchy isn't just detrimental to people who aren't male it's detrimental to our whole society as it currently exists so why are we not like placing more attention on like who's a part of the conversation and I mean that that t-shirt that says fuck patriarchy will have been made by a woman in a sweatshop in either exactly who probably hasn't been paid who hasn't paid a living wage and who's living and and that in some ways is just is the whole problem with this as you said with this kind of merging of capitalism and feminism when in some ways feminism in its truest form should really be trying to dismantle some of the the neoliberal at least kind of like economic structures that cause um you know women in the global south to to them, yeah. yeah exactly in that way and I think one of the a book that really helped me to kind of broaden my understanding of feminism and like intersectional feminism was Lola Olufemi's book I think it's is it feminism interrupted it's really kind of really short book and yeah if if anyone hasn't read it I would really recommend I wanted to just kind of tie back and 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 start to kind of conclude the discussion because it's it's been so fascinating and I really enjoyed kind of picking your brains on something but I wanted to you know sometimes it's I, I do this with some of our podcast listeners where we talk about like the future and what the kind of future brings and I think we've talked about the fact that you know feminism in its truest form is about dismantling power and I think in some ways data still sits in the it is still sitting in the in the corner of the patriarchy power if that makes sense mm-hmm. and we have to bring it, it over <laughs> so we have to bring it over to be uh, just swap teams <laughs> to be back on the kind of feminism side I wanted to just ask you like what your kind of hopes are for the future and how you see the work that you do and just generally how you see kind of like women's rights progressing and and just to kind of end on a little bit more of a a hopeful note (laughs) yeah we should like we should definitely end on a more hopeful note um no I have huge I have a huge level of optimism around future of sort of gender equality I believe that the more and more people and the more diverse voices that come into the space and do a lot of talking about the problems and actually have people listen to them for a change uh will make 
a huge difference um, again not just on those that need to be uplifted but on everyone and I think that data is such an important piece of this I think that we have to be placing attention on actively sourcing data like the lived experiences or the in any way that we want to um, understand the word lived experiences we have to be placing impact on understanding them and valuing them and uh, quantifying them and, and like what that and I think that data and platforms in particular can play a really interesting and um, exciting part of that journey uh, I, I hope that like we always say in the future we don't want if you if you have a question that is like a question common of someone who would be a, identify as a woman or non-binary person we say don't google it like you'll dm it like the knowledge and the resources are out there and we want to have a place for you to find them and discover them and share your own um to add to the sort of wealth of knowledge that is out there so i do think that I do think that the future is, is hopeful. It's, it's slightly depressing to get into all of the details and try not to often. Otherwise, <laughs> you just would try and you'd probably stop. Um, but I, I do think I am very optimistic about the future. And especially as we see more diverse leadership come into the space, whether that be in tech, um, data science, government even, um, it will only hopefully get better. Yeah, I think you're 100% right. And I think, you know, it's, in some ways, it's not about kind of contrasting optimism and pe pessimism, although, uh, you know, those become easy ways to look through it. But I think it's about understanding that while you get into the weeds of something like, like we have on this, it's also important to think about the vision for the future and to think about that on a really um, optimistic level. Because I think, at some, you know, we're, we're poised to, we have the tools and the resources and the knowledge now to really go out and, as you said, to kind of make the world better for everyone and also to create this more equal society and so I don't think there's anything wrong with having optimism over that in fact it's it's a driving force right in terms of keeping keeping this going um and yeah 100%. I wanted to give you opportunity to also you know give a shout out to DM and the work that you're doing if there's anything coming up and I would encourage anyone to get on your app store and download right away it's super easy to to get involved and it's really easy to use as well so anything exciting coming up from from your side um, we have a lot of cool conversations coming up in DM. So um, everything from understanding crypto, if you're sick of existing in tech bro Twitter, uh, there's a lot of uh, conversations around health. I think we have uh, a lot of cool ones around like sexual pleasure and understanding how to ask for it, negotiating. Like there's just so many conversations that are happening every single day um, that I'm personally really excited about uh, to sort of see come to life and for them to have a home um, on the internet. And yeah, I mean, in terms of the platform itself in its simplest form, we are a knowledge sharing platform that is powered by hosts who are subject matter experts or thought leaders and it's also powered by the micro communities um, that exist within dm so um yeah you should 100 percent join i love that i'm really looking forward to hearing what nft is not from 
a tech rule, please. <laughs> I would like to understand <laughs> it from someone who can oh. tell me whether I need to like actually know about this or if it's something that I just ba- vaguely know and will let it pass by in my... <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, what that's just a whole conversation in itself. But <laughs> what's great about how we've built DM is that not only do the conversations happen live, as in you can listen to the person sort of sharing their knowledge live, but they're all recorded and saved. So you can listen back to them a hundred times if you're like, oh my God, I listened to this, but I still don't quite understand what an NFT is you can listen to it 10 times until you do understand and that's totally fine that's amazing that's great well thank you so much Emma that was so interesting and I'm so excited to dive into some of the conversations and I'm sure many of our listeners will be I'll definitely um, link to DM um, and um, yeah as always if you've enjoyed listening to the podcast you can find us on Twitter at Women in Dev and also on Instagram at Women in Dev thanks very much for listening (music) 